Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Roosters, Blues, and Kangaroos legend Anthony Minicello. Mini played over 300 games for the Roosters, crossing like 15-odd years. He won a premiership in 2002, and then he captained the Roosters to another premiership in 2003, along with numerous Kangaroos caps, numerous State of Origin victories, and of course in 2005 he won the Golden Boot for the best player in the world. Uh, Minicello was a guy that was at the peak of his powers in 2005, and then a four-year run of just terrible injuries struck, and it really changed his career forever. Um, He obviously bounced back in 2010 to play in a grand final and went on to uh, captain the Roosters in that premiership I mentioned earlier, but his journey through those injuries from being the best player in the world to not being able to get on the field. It's incredible. Minnie just has a fantastic story to tell. The other thing about Minichello is that, you know, he came in in 2000, he finished in 2014. So he talks about how when he started in 2000, it's a real drinking culture in the in rugby league. Um, blokes would finish games, they'd go out and have a good time. And then at the end of his career, it essentially was the polar opposite. Uh, there's a quote where he mentions that he'd finish a game in 2000 and there'd be ice buckets of beers and then he finished a game in 2014, and there'd be ice buckets you'd have to jump into. Uh, really interesting story. He came along at a really at a time where rugby league grew to be a really professional sport at a real a time where rugby league changed for the better. It's a great story. I hope you enjoy it. Let's kick it off. Got a chance, great ball to Minicello. This will be the record for Minicello. Anthony Minicello scores the 105th try. Of his career with the Roosters. Minnie, welcome on, mate. It's a pleasure having you on the potty. What's going on? Uh, appreciate it, mate. Uh, obviously, challenging times over the last few months, um, but it's uh, it's been quite cool to try and draw the positives out of what's been happening with COVID. What obviously, positives uh, have you got out of it? Oh, obviously, you know, family, being home with family 24-7 and, you know, getting to share... Uh, homeschooling, which is challenging at times, but uh, really enjoyable in, in other times as well. And then getting outdoors and exercising and riding bikes with my wife and, and daughter as well and doing things together, cooking a lot, which I, I love to do. And um, you know, it's been great. And obviously um, evolving my mini fit business, which predominantly was uh, kids holiday programs and school term programs. See, they have been cancelled at the moment, uh, both of those um, with the business, so I've evolved my own uh, business to do live and on-demand workouts with me. So people can train with me from the comfort of their own home. Just log on to minifit.com.au and um, subscribe, and they can train with me live three times a week at 4:30, or just click on the on-demand tab and, and train at any any time. Uh, and you know, just you know, reframing people's minds as not just for kids now. This is for families, for adults. Workouts or body weight, functional movements, so kid friendly, and uh, it's been 
pretty cool to try and uh, build that side of the business up now. What's the uh, what's the history behind Minifit? Well, I've always uh, been passionate about fitness, uh, but then when I went through some injuries through my career. We'll probably talk about those later. Uh, I started to really focus on health and nutrition and lifestyle factors and the role that plays in healing the body. And then I had a, a direct passion coming out of that healing my own spine. Um, so I started just registered the name Minifit in 2010, just had the name there. And a couple of years after that, uh, when I was still playing, I uh, went into the school system. A lot of schools um, source out their physical activity and I started doing 10-week programs in, in different schools. And as I've retired, it's gone into the holiday clinic um, uh, system with League Clubs Australia and RSLs and bowling clubs. That's been uh, very good for me. And now changing it up a bit uh, during this time and, and doing live workouts. So it's a, it's a real passion of mine and I can start to really sink my teeth into it now. I still uh, have a role at the Roosters, obviously, but that's um, it's all been a little bit different at the moment. So sinking time into Minifit has been great. How do you see Minifit changing once we come out of this um, COVID stage of our lives? I think uh, the online uh, workout, uh, online workouts will be something that could be definitely part of the business. It could be the biggest part of the business if I continue to grow the subscription base, which has been uh, growing really well and really happy with it at the moment. So just getting out to more people and sharing uh, my philosophy now, which is, you know, I want to be able to train every day to feel good every day. So sometimes if you don't, people, a lot of people don't like going, actually going to the gym because they feel intimidated or they don't know what they're doing, uh, where they can just log on to Minifit and train with me 10 to 20 minute sessions, you know, 15, 18 minute workouts where they'll get their heart rate elevated, build some good strength, a lot of core stability exercises, keep it stable. Uh, and they can do it in, in front of their own home or inside or outdoors on their device. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a real way forward that this part of the business uh, will be here to stay. You must be excited to get back into some schools, mate. Yeah, I know. I was working with a few schools uh, out west prior to um, COVID hitting and I was really getting some traction with um, a lot of other schools and, and getting uh, the program um, aligned to the school syllabus, which it is now. Um, but obviously that had to change for a while and you know we don't know when outside providers can come back into the schools as yet uh, but you know things are starting to ease and hopefully the second wave isn't too big and we can start to come out of COVID um, and progress and get back into our normal lives. I'm, uh, I'm lucky enough to have you on today through my good mate Silky who um, who uh-huh. set up this interview he uh, he obviously runs the Roosters radio if there's any Roosters fans out there listening and you're not onto it you need to Get around the Roosters Radio. It's a cracking podcast. I know you've been on it a few times, yeah? Oh, mate, Silky is a legend, mate. Silky and Bush and the boys of... Uh, uh, so we go way back, actually, when he was, he was a bit wild, Silky, back in the days. He wild. plays a straight bat with me, mate. Very straight bat. <laughs> well, just asking about uh, the House of Grouse in 2004. He featured heavily. I'm sure he wouldn't have missed. <laughs> he's a good man. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's built a, a really good business up. It's a fantastic little business. Yeah, as I said, Roosters fans, jump on your podcast apps, find Roosters Radio. It's a must listen. Speaking of the Roosters, mate, back to the start of your career. Where'd you play your junior footy? So I grew up out west, uh, just outside Liverpool. So I grew up on five acres. You know, we had room to move. My younger brother, younger sister played plenty of sports. And, you know, my two main sports as a kid was gymnastics and little athletics. Um, so a bit, bit different, or certainly gymnastics was a bit different back in the late 80s for, for me to get into, but uh, loved the sport. I was doing quite well and then just joined rugby league because of my mates at school when I was 10 years of age and fell in love with the game, the team aspect of it all, training with your mates, having fun. And uh, about six years after that, Arthur Beetson, the great Arthur Beetson, uh, took me out of the West and put me into the East at the Roosters. and. Uh, never looked back since. So, you know, three, three years in the lower grades at the Roosters and then making my debut at age 19, year 2000. Great year. Tell me about your experiences with the great Artie Beetson. I know uh, a lot of the chooks from your era um, obviously were found by Artie. About your first impression? 
Yeah, so I got invited uh, to a training camp at Narrabeen and they invited a lot of people from, a lot of kids from New South Wales and we did a training camp for two days and then played against each other on that last day to see who was maybe potential of getting a contract. And I remember Artie Beeson coming into that camp and I didn't know much about him at that, that point. And I was only, I was 16, I was 15 turning 16 and you hear stories, then you, you see him come into the room and immediately you go, wow, this, this guy has a presence. And he spoke about um, what the future could hold for certain players in this in this group right now, and everyone was just you know leaning in and listening, and uh, from that point on, developed a really good relationship because uh, I sort of went on and, and had a pretty good career, and Gardy and I was was always close, you know, and you know when I won some great individual awards, you know, Artie was one of them that handed the awards out, and you know he was a recruitment officer for the Roosters for a long time. So we had a really great relationship and, you know, not just a legend of the Roosters, but a legend of the game. Did you ever take him on um, on the squash court? No, I didn't. I'm, I'm, I played a little bit of tennis, but squash was certainly not my game. <laughs> I was terrible at it. From what I've heard, apparently it was his game. Well, you know what, well, back in the day when uh, he was more mobile, they reckon he was just his placement and just knew every inch of the court. It was unbelievable. He's just one of those blokes he could just do everything, couldn't he? You know, back in his day, just you know, he was a big guy, but he knew how to move. He, his sort of timing for things was just perfect. Tell me about your debut in the year two thousand. Now uh, you walk into a pretty handy team there. How did you find out you were making your debut? Well, it was it was the year two thousand, so that was the Olympics year. And remember, we started the season a lot earlier. I think it was I don't know six weeks earlier from memory. So the first six weeks of the comp you could have six people on the bench. You only had to put, you know, oh, no, it was actually, I think it was unlimited interchange in the year 2000. It was actually, but you could have six people on the interchange bench instead of four and you could use whoever you wanted. So I think it was game five or game six of that before they cut it. I got a start on that six man bench. We're playing the Bulldogs at Allianz Stadium and getting pumped by 20, 20 points or so. And I got thrown on the last 10 minutes. And I was sort of just, you know, trying to feel my way through. And then, then I, oh, before I knew it, the game was over. But then the, the next week, Graham Murray said to me, you're starting right wing. We're playing Manly back at Allianz Stadium. And I remember in the sheds before that game, I'm, you know, packing it, shitting myself and looking around. You've got Adrian Land, you've got Brad Fittler, you've got uh, senior forwards, you've got Brian Fletcher uh, and, you know, Jack Elskud, all these guys. And they just said, look, you're here for a reason, just go out there and do your job. And that's what I did. And I stayed, I was pretty lucky. I stayed in first grade the rest of that year and got to play in the grand final in my very first year of first grade. And, you know, we played the Broncos that year. They were a red hot team and they, they dusted us 14 8. But, you know, what a year from, the, from my debut. One hell of a Broncos team you came up in that grand final, but I yeah. imagine having a guy like Brad Fittler in the shed with you must have given you an extreme amount of confidence that year. Oh, mate, he was just you know assertive, just one of the one of the greats to play with. You know, I got three that are that are all my all time favourites, and Freddie's one of those. You know, Joey and Lockie, that those three were just unbelievable. The original big three. The big three, all right. <laughs> We arrived to 2002, Graham Murray departs, Ricky Stewart arrives. What was your first impression of Ricky Stewart? Obviously, it was his first year coaching. Yeah, so he, I think he coached the lower-grade Bulldog team to a grand final uh, the year before. And he come in, and I remember he's, he was told us, you know, we want to be the fittest team in the NRL. You know, we, we're not weak. People think we're weak. And, you know, he come in with that real tough, hard attitude. You know, that team there was right, all ready to go. We had great senior players in Rico and Freddie and um, Fletch and Peter Cusack, all these guys. Then we had a really good young crop coming through. It was, you know, myself, Craig Wing, Michael Crocker, Chris Flannery, Shannon Hegarty. But, you know, it was just amazing. And Ricky trained us hard. Now, we were the fittest team in the NRL at the time. You know, every single people person in our, in our squad uh, when we did the beep test, was getting over 14, Good even God. the front rowers. So that was pretty phenomenal. Like we, at, at some of our pre-seasons, 
one of the pre-seasons, we come back from our Christmas break. We did a beep test. And Ricky said, go get a drink. You're doing it again. And so we did a second beep test back to back. And he said, if you don't beat your score or match it, then we're going to keep count of every person that doesn't do it. And then we're doing hundreds. So anyway, this is the very first day after two-week break, Christmas, New Year. So, you know, everyone's had a good time after New Year's. <laughs> anyway, so none of us make our mark, except Craig Wing actually beat his mark by one point. And then Ricky, Ricky turned to him and went, what the hell? So you didn't, you didn't have a go the first time, didn't you? So, <laughs> so we were all like laughing. Anyway, we missed, we missed, the total team missed the mark by about 50. Said, Palmer goes, mate can't give 50 hundreds after I've just done two beep tests. So Ricky has, all right, 50 fifties. So we did two beep tests in a row plus 50 50 meter sprints. And that was our first day back. <laughs> so that sounds like madness now because everything is sports science and judged and GPS tracked and none of that was back then. But we were probably the fittest team in the NRL and, and it showed in 2002, we just rose midway through the year and I think we won nine straight to win the grand final. Kick and chase by Mullen. Kick and chase again by Mullen. This will be a miracle. Oh, it is a miracle. Oh, my goodness. You won't see anything like that again this year. And maybe never. Mate, there's one guy in that team I want to ask you about. I'm sure you learn a heap from him. Um, uh, Brett Mullins. You know, he played on the wing that oh, year, yes. but he's one of the best fullbacks we've ever seen. What did you learn from Brett Mullins? He was just an amazing athlete. Just, you know... Skinny, lanky, but his um, coordination, his turn of speed was phenomenal. You know, and he was such a relaxed guy. You know, that, that, that's that's a good thing because he he used to go to the club and he used to enjoy himself after every game. He used to not get stressed about too many things. And that's one thing I remember about him that he wasn't stressed. He used to go in with a clear mind and he didn't take his football home with him. He separated it so he could have that mental break. Uh, and he was a perfect uh, example of that. And, you know, that year, he had, a, he had a wonderful year. You know, I was on the right wing. He was on the left wing. And, it, you know, the, the back three, we had Luke Phillips at fullback that year too. And How tough was you know, Luke he, Phillips? Oh, great guy. Just tough. And, and Ricky, when he first came to the club, Ricky challenged him on his toughness because he thought he wasn't that tough deep down. And, mate, he just showed that whole year that, mate, he was a tough bloke. And, he, he stuffed his shoulder weeks prior to the grand final. I think that grand final, he had about 12 needles, you know, six in the start, six at half time, and basically retired him. His shoulder was uh, ruined after that, and that's the year that he retired. And that is it. Ricky Stewart and his Sydney Roosters, they have finally broken the drought. Their first premiership since 1975. Tell me about grand final night. We all know how it goes during the game. Um, I want to know what happens after when you get back to Bondo Junction. <laughs> so, you know, directly after, you know, the lap of honour. The lap of honour is pretty amazing because the fans are hanging around and you just, it's just pure elation. And, you know, you've worked, you started your preseason a year before that day. So you worked a whole year with your teammates and you just look around at your teammates and the coaching staff and you go, this is it, we've done it, you know what I mean? And you get to celebrate with the fans and then you go into the sheds and it's just on straight away, beer, champagne, and it's just music and it's just the atmosphere is amazing. You get on the bus and I think at that point we went to Allianz Stadium and we got on a double-decker bus, an open-top double-decker bus and we come into Bondi Junction, the roads are closed, everyone's cheering. It was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, you get into the club and it's, and it's just packed. And before you know it, at 6 a.m. and you go into the pub. <laughs> Mate, I've seen some of those scenes, and I, I uh, you know, I was there after the 2013 Grand Final in Bondi Junction. Fuck, the Roosters know how to put on a party, don't they? You know, it's it's a it's a club that um, demands success. You know, they're they're a high achieving club, but you know, when they do achieve, they look after their own, they look after the players and staff, and uh, they put on a good show. Now, 2003 rolls around and you've got a trip over to England for the World Club Challenge. But just before that, um, my favourite players ever and one of your best mates, Brett Finch, walks into the building. Tell me about <laughs> Finchy arriving. Oh, so, so I played um, junior kangaroos with Finchy at age 19. 
And I remember I got caught into the squad late because Eric Groth got picked on the wing and pulled out and they called me in. And I hadn't played first grade yet. Finchie had started first grade when he was 17. He was a bit of a freak. And I still had an undercart and <laughs> I walked in, right? I drove in with my laser TX3 and, and jumped out of the car with my bag and everyone turns, you know, who the hell is this bloke? This long-haired, undercut Italian kid from out west. They were like, what the hell? Anyway, so you know, we, we go into the first game and I have probably one of the worst games I've played. I let in two 40-20s. I drop a bomb or two. And everyone's going, oh, this bloke, we need to get rid of him. And Finchie was the only bloke to come up to me after the game and said, mate, put that behind you, mate. We've got one more game against the Kiwis. We, we, we just beat the Kiwis narrowly. One more game against the Kiwis. Mate, just put that shit behind you. You'll be sweet. So, you know, we struck up a friendship straight away. And game two was over in New Zealand. And I ended up getting man of the match and had the best game ever. And, yeah, from that point on, we had a friendship um, that lasted between different clubs. And then once Finchie came to the club, it was like, mate, beautiful. So I, I sort of got him under my wing and we ended up living together for a number of years. Oh, and, good you know, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, definitely one of my best mates and, and, and still is to this day. Tell me about that uh, trip over to England for the World Club Challenge. Uh, yeah, this, well, during that preseason, Ricky come to me and said, obviously, look, the fullback spot was open. So Ricky Stewart come to me and said, what do you think about playing fullback? And I said, 100%, give me a shot. You know, I was a guy that wanted to get involved a lot more. I was naturally fit, so I felt on the wing... Um, not that I was wasted, but I just wanted to give more to the team because I had all this energy. And I said, give me a, give me a go. And he said, I'm thinking about you or Justin Hodges. And I said, give it to me. I won't let you down. So he did. And my very first game was World Club Challenge. And I have a really good game. And we go on, I think we won 38 nil uh, to claim the trophy. And I remember Finchie was his very first game. He's in there with ready, holding up the trophy, think, thinking that he He's in all the photos, mate. He didn't miss. <laughs> he didn't miss, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, that, that was sort of the start of my career where that elevated me to the next level. Then Johns dummies once and then goes out wide. Minatello is in. Minatello has weathered the storm at the other end and has scored the first point for New South Wales. A few months later, mate, you're selected to make your origin debut for New South Wales. And in typical Anthony Minocello form, you score two tries, you have an absolute blinder. Tell me about that night. Yeah, well, the, the start of that game, I remember that this is probably the game where I was the most nervous out of any game that I've played. Because I remember being, it was the opening of Suncorp Stadium. Uh, you can imagine up there, the fans going nuts. You know, I'm playing with Joey Johns now, Mark Gaznier, and all these greats, Denny Badiris. And I'm in the sheds before the game, and I'm shitting myself. Uh, and I think the first... 10 minutes of the game, two big bombs come my way. And I dropped them, but dropped them backwards. So play on, continue on. So the nerves were there, but then I just sort of I felt myself into the game and I just partnered up with Joey Johns and both of those tries come off Joey Johns' passes. And so that, that, that was the start of my combination with Joey. You know, we, we struck up a really good uh, friendship and combo the next few years. And yeah, I just can't, I remember coming off that game and I had a twinged pinched nerve in my neck and I was just spent really kick-started my representative career mate you and Joey that night looked like you'd been playing together for 10 years you were just in sync I, yeah well I, I remember uh, training with Joey and Joey just said this kid's got so much energy which I did I, I just wanted to get involved at every single point I remember just uh just hanging around Joey Joey goes just stick with me tackle four on so Joey was a massive planner in his game so he would work over to one two three players and then an inside board of me on the fourth where these guys have been tired and they've been tackling for that long and then he'll go quick and fast with, with him and myself so he was always planning things like that you know tackle four or on just just hang around hang around you know and that that combo i had with him was I could be wrong, but that's the game where uh, Michael Devere gets the staple to the head isn't it <laughs> it is it is oh so. my god imagine that on <laughs> debut that was uh, our club doctor, John Orchard. That was our club doctor. So he was a bit of a fumbling mess at stages, but very smart. But he, he you know, he, he was on the big stage and he's shaking and, you know, tried to 
staple his forehead and the gun breaks and there's one's hanging off his head and the other one's in his hand and he didn't know what to do. And <laughs> I think the rules got changed after that point because you know, it flashed on TV and kids probably got scared. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good shout. <laughs> Tell me, uh, a few months later, you guys return to grand final day. You take on the Penrith Panthers, um, pouring with rain, just nothing seemed to be going your way. Poor old Todd Byrne, you know, stumbles yep. up the sideline. Sattler takes him out. It's just, it, it, it yep. just seemed to be Penrith's night. Tell me about the few hours leading up to that game. Yeah, it was. I, I think Penrith certainly outplayed us that night. I think through the week, the grand, now looking back, the grand final breakfast, he and all of us were ready to play. We were ready to play that morning. And that was probably silly of our preparation. We prepped way too early. Where I remember the, the Panther Panthers were laughing and joking and, you know, they were relaxed. We were ready to play at that point, three days, four days before the game. By the time we got to the game, everything tightened up. We got a little bit nervous. Uh, they were playing well. And they did. They outplayed us that night. Uh, and then and the, the rain come tumbling down, so I was a little bit wet. And, you know, it's, it certainly wasn't Todd Burns' fault where everyone goes, oh, no, he should have just stayed in. Yeah, he should have, but doesn't that, that doesn't um, – make the end result you know it was a whole team performance that we were we were underdone we didn't play to our abilities on that night Mate, after the disappointment of that grand final you uh you get to go on your first kangaroo tour I imagine that must have been the experience of a lifetime that was amazing, yeah. So I remember getting the call up and six of us got named in that kangaroo tour and it was pretty amazing to go in with six roosters and represent your country and go overseas. It was an Ashes tour. So, you know, we we went to, you know, Chris Anderson was coach. We went to Paris first, went to Barcelona. Then we played France, we played England A, we played Russia or some exhibition game there. And then we went into a, a three-match Ashes series against Great Britain. And every single match went down to the wire and we beat them nearly on the bell every single game. So we whitewashed them. But it was just a huge experience travelling over there and living over there for eight weeks. I imagine a highlight of that tour must have been uh, being with Darren Lockyer for a few weeks there. That's that's where I, again, had these three players that I played with. Freddie, certainly because of the Roosters. Joey because of the New South Wales and then Lockie because of the, the Australia team. So again, we struck up a great combination. And I was on the wing that first first game, so it was hard to build a, a really combination like we did in the New South Wales team with Joey. But the following year, uh, Lockie moved the five eight and I I moved the fullback, and that's when we had to build that. And now Brad Fittler, for the two hundredth time, captains the Sydney Roosters and leads them out. For his final game of rugby league. Speaking of 2004, the following year, it's uh, it's Brad Fittler's last year at the Roosters. What was the feeling around that season? It was uh, it, it felt like a six month farewell tour. Yeah, it was. Um, I suppose it was yeah, pretty emotional because he's he's a great at the game, I, and I still believe that he could have went on for another one or two years. You know, I think he retired quite early at 32. You know, he was a guy that didn't have too many injuries his whole career. Um, so he could have pushed on, but you know he, he said it was time. And you know that that year we were on top the whole year. You know, and we probably should have beaten the Dogs that grand final. You know, we we scraped into the grand final. We beat the uh, Cowboys in the prelim, and they gave us a little bit of a scare. And I think we sort of peaked too early through the, the end of the season and the semi-final series, and we were just on the way down. Um, but you know, we. He lost that grand final by three points, but uh, we didn't score a point in the second half. We were up 13-6 at halftime. We were in control. And rain come tumbling down again in the second half. Now, well, I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. It was, we are in camp at uh, Ramwick where we used to go every week. And uh, we wake up in the morning and Chris Walker pulls the curtains back and looks outside and it's drizzling. And he turns back to us. He goes, boys, we are absolutely effed tonight. I said, what do you mean? He goes, mate, it's raining. It rained last year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he put the mocker on us straight away. <laughs> yeah, that, so that, that second half wasn't, 
wasn't pretty for us. We didn't score a point and, and they scored a couple of tries and beat us 16-13. You mentioned not scoring a point in the second half. Um, 34th minute, Brett Finch hits a field goal from absolute obscurity and then you score a try. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In the next set of six, you're up seven points going into half time. You must yep. have felt reasonably confident going into half time. We did, yeah. We we did feel feel confident going uh, into half time, coming back out, and you know it was just it was a couple of little uh, errors in defence by our right side, I think, and they scored a try with Matt Utah, I think it was, and and then the doubt started to appear in everyone's head. And I think, we, you know, that, looking back now, we didn't stay calm. We panicked a bit. Everyone's tried to do someone else's job where um, they should be just doing their own, focusing on their own job. And that's um, what happened. And we tightened up and they scored another try. And now towards the end, we are trying to pull a try out and it just didn't happen. Mate, State of Origin game two that year, I guess it's remembered for, for two moments. The first, Brad Fittler coming out of retirement. What was it like seeing him walk, walk back into that camp? It's great. It's just a, again, like when these greats come back, it's just a calming feeling comes over the uh, the team, and it's like, well, you know, we've got Brad Fittler here. You know, he can just control things, and people were a little bit more at ease, and you know, everything went right that uh, that series, and Freddie got his uh, great send off, and you know, I love, you know, it was great to be a part of. Another moment that I don't think rugby league fans will ever forget, and unfortunately you probably get reminded of it every year, um, Darren Lockyer puts a grubber through for Slater, and he's yep. coming at you in game two. Tell me what happens next. He regathers and chips over the top, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, where's my winger, Tamana Tahu? You know, he should be covering as well. <laughs> but uh, look, that was just a, a, a freakish moment by Billy. He, he did that plenty of times throughout his whole career, so... Um, it's hard to stop that, that's for sure. A bit of a uh, turning point in the career of one Billy Slater? Billy, that was, that was the start of his career. So, you know, we didn't know how good he was going to be at that point. Uh, he, we knew he had talent uh, and he, he pulls that try out and then he goes on to be one of the greatest fullbacks ever. But you go down in that grand final to Canterbury, Brad Fittler retires. It, it's, a real, uh, it's a real changing of the tide down in Bondi. Yep. 2005 rolls around, Freddie's gone. You just missed the top eight. But for you personally, it's quite possibly your best year of footy yet. You're right. It was. It was my best year individually um, since coming into grade. You know, I, I win the Wally Lewis medal. I win international back of the year. I win the golden boot and Dally M. All, all, all these awards come uh, flying out, you know. And at this point in time as well, you know, I had flare-ups in my lower back. I was getting quarter zones and... You know, my attitude was, yeah, I'll be sweet. I'm playing great football. Yeah, because I was, I, was, I was getting told, you know, you've got to look after yourself away from the sport. You've got to look after your lower back. And I wasn't listening to any of that uh, because, you know, I was having a good time all weekend, training my butt off all week and then pushing my body to the limits every weekend and playing great. So why would I do anything different to change? And that, that was my whole thought pattern. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly come crashing down the year after. Can I ask you, was 2005, you know, you, you guys finished ninth that year. Was it a bit of a um, reality check for you, I guess? You know, you've come in as a young bloke and all you've known is grand finals, premierships, success. What was the feeling around 2005 for you? I think it was probably, well, there were signs that we needed to wake up and start being more professional. But in, in let's be honest, in the game at the time, there was a bit of a drinking culture because every team after every game out together drinking, having a good time. But I think the game was shifting into being more professional during those mid 2000s and teams that were doing that better than others were starting to really creep up and, and, and be better week in, week out. 
So it was a sign for us to try and wake up and start being more professional away from the game. When you talk about that change in the game, you know, when you retire in 2014, can you see a major difference how players are handling themselves after games of footy compared to when you started uh, your career? 100%. Back in the early 2000s, you come in after a game and it's ice bars full of beers. Now it's ice bars that they have to jump into. It's weighing, it's tracking, GPS, it's everything, you know, nutrition on point. So it's completely changed. The game is much more professional now. If you could have your career over again, does it start in 2000 or does it start in 2010? Starts in 2000. I, 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 would, I wouldn't change a thing. I, those times were amazing. You know, we used to go to the pub with 15 of the, of the guys and it was just like, yep, come in, wrapped off area for you, have a good time. You can't do that anymore. But so I got the, the before and the middle and the after a bit, even with social media, the change in that and, and phones. So, you know, I wouldn't change my career. Even I wouldn't change my injuries because they were a massive learning curve for me, a, a, a time where I evolved and, and, and got into my health and fitness. And, and that's what I do now because of what happened in the past. Speaking of your injuries, uh, you know, I, I was looking at some stats this morning. You know, at the start of 2006, you'd average 25 games a year. Over the next yeah. four seasons, you'd play 30 games. So that, yeah, that, that three-year period leading up to my 2006 when I first got injured, I think I played the most amount of games out of anyone in the NRL. I never, I never seemed to get injured at all, not even soft tissue injuries in that first six years. Um, you know, because I grew up on a farm with a whole food nutrition upbringing, I had a really good foundation, and, but that was starting to deteriorate. And remember, I had signs, but I, I wasn't listening to those signs. And then in 2006, it all come crashing down and, and gave me some life lessons. Run me through the injuries over those three or four seasons. So 2006, I, I played the first six games with constant hamstring pain. Well, I thought it was hamstring pain down my left leg. It was actually nerve pain from a ruptured disc in my lower back. And I got ruled out of the Anzac Day test from Tony, Tony Ayew, the physio, because I couldn't even bend down and touch my knees. And he sent me to a specialist. The MRI was performed and it said, yep, you've got a ruptured disc. So I, had, I went in and got a back operation, which was one of the first in the league at the time. And immediately the pain subsided and I was like, oh, this is great. And I went back to doing the same things again, running within six weeks, not looking after myself, um, you know, anti-inflammatories daily now because I thought they were helping me. 2007 rolls around. I play the first 10 games. I play Origin 1. I get selected back in the blue squad. I'm in camp for Origin 2 and I literally jump out of bed to put my socks on and I hear a click in my lower back and nerve pain, severe nerve pain down my right leg, the opposite leg this time. My back goes in a spasm. I'm laying on the floor. Pull out of that game. That's where I stay. Um, I go back in to the surgeon and he says the disc above has done the same thing. Do you want to keep playing footy? I said, yeah, I'm 27, of course. But he um, said, we'll do a smaller operation, take the recovery a lot slower. So I, I do that. And I still feel after the operation, I still had a bit of nerve pain, irritation. Uh, it didn't subside the way I wanted, wanted it to. But I'm preparing for the 2008 season. And I do my neck, uh, a significant disc bulge in my neck, and I'm like one millimeter away from my spinal cord. Um, so that's when I started to realize, you know, what the hell's going on with my spine? I need to change things because I've already had two back operations. I had a small disc bulge in my mid back, now I've got a huge disc bulge in my neck. What to do? So I was pretty lucky at the time. I met my wife and she was always pushing me to go find answers, go find the root cause. Why is this happening? Instead of most doctors treating the symptom. And I went on this quest to try and find answers. And I found one guy who I'm good friends with now, Aaron McKenzie, and he had a functional movement training studio and ties in a lot of nutrition with it. I started working with him and I thought I was on the right track. The 2009 season rolls around and I do all my ligaments in my left ankle and a spiral fracture in my fibula, the smaller bone. My God. The rotation force was so big that it, 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 it sort of cracked under my knee, not near my ankle. Again, I'm out for another 22 weeks and coming off contract now. And I remember the Roosters gave me a one-year incentive deal, match payments. I took that up. I really started to dive into nutrition and lifestyle, and the role that plays in healing and healing the body. And that's when I changed everything. I got rid of all the prescription medication. I uh, decreased my consumption of alcohol. I started uh, eating whole fresh food, good healthier fats, good 
uh, quality protein, heaps of good plant foods, and things started to change. I started to repair my body. I started to sleep better. I started to think clearer. And 2010 rolls around, and I play the next five years. I'm 30 now. I play the next five years with no injuries. 2010 rolls around, mate, and we see you back in full flight. Be honest with me. Did you feel like 2010 Anthony Minicello was at the same level as the 2004 and 2005 Anthony Minicello that we saw a few years earlier? No, I never felt the same after the first back operations, to be perfectly honest. Never felt as powerful. Never felt... um, Now, back then, I was breaking tackles at will because I was sharp and powerful. But after those back operations, uh, that changed a bit. So... You know, I had to evolve my game to be smarter, to be more efficient. And that's what I did when I was 30 into 35. I ask you, during your time you were injured, um, obviously Billy Slater transformed the way fullbacks play really in, in that time. What, like, did you have to adapt your game to fit in with the modern fullback even more so? Well, I suppose during that time, um, Billy sort of developed a, a, a ball-playing ability. So then the fullbacks were like an extra half or five-eight within the team. Whereas when I um, switched to fullback, it was all about energy, uh, you know, 20 runs a game, support everywhere. You know, that, that, that was um, what my game was. Uh, Billy had that energy. Then he added the, the ball-playing ability to the back line. So... Yeah, for me, I had to work on more my skill set as well, definitely. Were you a bit nervous during this time when you weren't able to be on the field and on the training paddock, but guys like Billy Slater and Carmichael Hunt, they're sort of slowly revolutionising the way fullbacks play with you know adding in a new element of vision and select passing, as you said, turning the fullback into a third ball player. And I wasn't nervous at all. It's just it creates competition, makes you better. Um, for me, during that time... Um, you know, you can't dwell on these things. You, you, you've got to focus on yourself, getting your, your own body right and, and starting to improve your, your own skill set. You know, that, that's what the best players do. They always want to evolve. They always want to get better. Otherwise, they, you get left behind. 2010, uh, Coach Brian Smiths is there. How did you find your relationship with Brian was? Weird cat, I'm not going to lie. But when he first came in in 2010, I, I, I think... The systems that he provided us where it was uh, a certain day off of the week, this is what this day is, this is what that day is. It wasn't like uh, you rock up at training and, oh, we're doing this today or we're doing that, where it wasn't in the past. He put some really good systems in place where you knew what was coming so you could prepare properly. And, and I, I like that. Um, so we had a really good year in 2010, but then it sort of just started to fade away and, and dip the, the following couple of years. The other man that arrives that year, Todd Carney, uh, what a season. Great, yeah, well, not a break. He's, he's, he's a talent. There's no doubt about it. We knew he was a talent, uh, and we harnessed that, and we got him right for a year <laughs> before he went off the rails again. Um, but he, yeah, Dalian, player of the year that year, and, and well-deserved. Brilliant defence. The Roosters are celebrating. They're beckoning the crowd to join the celebration. Minicello wins his second from six. A few years later, 2013, you're, um, you're captain of the beloved Roosters and you go all the way that year as captain. It must have been a special feeling. Probably one of my season highlights or my career highlights, to be honest. Um, you know, I hold this uh, achievement above any individual award just because of the, obviously the injuries that I went through and then you know, Trent Robinson uh, naming me as captain of the club. You know, we worked hard that preseason. We worked really hard that year. And he came into the club and said, you know, look, you know, we're not a second-half team. We haven't worked hard enough. And we focused that whole preseason on being a second-half team. And we earmarked Manly as a team that used to just bash us every time we played them. And that year, we played Manly five times. Once in a trial match, twice during the regular season, the first semi-final, and then the grand final. Then in the grand final we find ourselves down by 10 points with 20 minutes to go and people starting to panic a bit and tighten up. And I remember learning from the past is just relax. Let's just take it back to preseason. What has Robbo and the coaching staff been saying to us the whole year? Second half team, we've trained that the whole season. So just go out and do your job. No one else's do your own job. 
you know, we, and we, then we go on to score three tries to win the match by eight points. And it was just a phenomenal year. Tell me about at the start of that year, um, guys like Sonny Bill Williams and James Maloney, what did they bring to the team? Yeah, so that year we made some really key signings. Sonny Bill, uh, James Maloney, Michael Jennings as well. Um, so, you know, the talk again was, oh, yeah, we're, we're buying a premiership and, and whatnot. But in any good business, any good sporting club, everyone knows that, you know, you can't just buy something and it just works. You know, you've got to develop a culture. You've got to develop a winning culture. You've got to develop a tightness of the of the group and you've got to have standards. And, you know, those guys came with um, high-level experience and their own high standards, which elevated other people's standards. Uh, and then once you put them in a group and create team standards, you know, and, and you know, um, holding each other accountable to those standards was the key. And once we started that, it, it was just the little things developed in the bigger things, developed in this winning culture, developed into uh, minor premiership, premiership. It's pretty crazy that 10 years before that, you were there for Ricky Stewart winning a premiership in his first season. And then 2013, you're there to see Trent Robinson win it in his first season. Yeah. Were there similarity, um, similarities between the two of them? I think um, there is because when someone new comes in, it's just new and fresh. So you're just on board. You're on, everyone's on board. Everyone's on the same page. And this is the art of a coach, I feel, is how do they sustain success? Um, and Robbo's probably one of the best at it. You know, he'll, he'll, every preseason, he would always change something about the playing training fields or their uh, team where they hang out, their locker rooms. So it doesn't feel the same. So they come in and it's, it's a whole new paint job. It looks completely different. You know, and, and the theme of the season is completely different to the last thing, even though some of the plays are exactly the same. So making it different every season is key. So, you know, that, when Ricky first came in, it was all new to us and we were 100% on board. And same as Robbo. And then Robbo's developed that and that's why the, the boys are still on top and they've won the last two years. He's certainly one hell of a coach, isn't he? Like, to, to be able to do what he's done in the last eight years or so, it, it defies belief. Three premierships in, what is it, eight years? Crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Like, you know, Robbo's a real smart guy. Um, you know, he's got the sports science covered, but he's really respectful. He'll shake everyone's hand and say hello um, every morning. Uh, and he's really big on the history of the Roosters and big on the history of the Eastern Suburbs. And he takes people on that journey. I mean, and there's always a history lesson every preseason or there's something that the boys have to really sink their teeth into about their own area that really sucks them in. When you pull on that jersey, it means something. Let's fast forward a year later, 2014. When do you make the decision that your time's up? First, I had my um, daughter in December 13, and it was a World Cup year. So we, I played for Italy in the World Cup in England after the grand final, and then come back, and, two, and a week after that, um, we have Azura, my daughter. So I didn't go back to training until I think it was mid-January, and I had all this time... Uh, with our newborn and my wife. And I found it really hard to get back in the preseason, to be honest. And normally for me, it's just easy. Uh, but I found it hard. I wanted to be home a bit more. And I was thinking, is this the sign? Or is it just because I've had my uh, little girl and I want to be home? Uh, and I've always noticed people in their retirement speeches saying, when you know, you know. So I held on to that feeling for a bit with myself and got into the season. And it was, the feeling just kept growing, to be honest. And I, I, I knew it straight away. I knew it at the start of the season. This is it. This is going to be my last year. And I told my wife not too long after the season starting and she was saying, no, you can go another year. She wanted me to play on, to be honest. She wanted, you know, she wanted Azura to remember her dad playing footy. I said, well, that's not going to happen. She's, you know, that's not going to happen anyway. So, um, and it just kept growing and growing. And I, I just knew. I spoke to the family about it and... You know, I think six to eight weeks out from the season's end, I told the team, and that was it. You, uh, you time it perfectly towards the end of that season, as much as it didn't finish with you um, lifting the trophy, but you play 300 games, which I imagine, when you look back at those four years you went through injury, that achievement, it, it's a very select club. It's an amazing achievement. Yeah, yeah it was. You know, I think I, I, I missed a total of 65 or 66 games when I counted them up. Um, so, you know, getting to the 300 mark is, was a massive achievement, you know, it's, uh, 
And that's something that really um, I'm proud of because when I changed everything, I knew that um, nutrition and, and lifestyle has a massive effect on longevity um, in not only professional sport, but it, as a human being for health as well. So uh, I knew that the things that I was doing was was the right things. And uh, when that 300 game come around, I think it was the first game of the semifinals. We lost that game. Yeah, it was still a, a massive achievement, a great one. The proudest rooster, the longest serving rooster, Anthony Minicello, your captain. A couple of weeks later, you break another record. Uh, most games for the Roosters ever, you uh, you jump over your good mate and just junior Luke Ricketson. Incredible for such a for a club with such a rich history. For you to sit at the top of that list, it must be unbelievable. It is. Uh, Rico's one of my best mates um, to this day, and funny because a lot of people bag the Roosters how they're a transient club and we buy players and. When you, when you think about it, and Mitch Alberson is going to probably eclipse my record this year uh, if he plays every game, we're going to have three players over 300 games. And what, what other club has that? None. And, and also, you know, Jake Friend, if he continues to go on, he could possibly get it. So there's no other club in the NRL that will have three or four players play 300 games uh, at the one club. So that's pretty amazing a special elite club without a doubt your uh, your last game of first grade uh, playing the Rabbitohs uh, uh, prelim final you score yep. two tries <laughs> not the result you wanted but a pretty special way to finish yeah look I remember look we stuffed up in that first semi-final game yeah we should have been playing the Bunnies in a grand final and that would have been the biggest grand final imagine that my god I know. It, it, you know we lost to Penrith and put us on that their side of the draw now that was their year, the Bunnies, but I, I feel if we played them in a grand final, I don't know, things could have been a little bit different. But, you know, we come out that first half and we were on, we were on fire. Uh, I remember we could have went in 18-0 up. I think James Maloney uh, try got called back. So we're 12-0 up and we come into the second half and, again, we sort of just fall apart and a couple of their players were just on fire that night, Sammy Burgess and... Um, when the other guys that left to England play rugby, he was just on. on. So we, yeah, we got dusted. And then we come back at, towards the end. And what, a special moment really was my last ever touch in rugby league was a try. Um, so, that you know, that's pretty, you know, I don't think too many people can ever say that. You know, I, I, I can't remember. I got the ball off Aiden Guerra and the, the bell went and uh, Greg Inglis tackles me over the try and then I scored a try. And, you know, the, the Bunnies made a... Uh, uh, guard of honour as well and you know it was, it was a sad moment but I was ready I was ready to retire We speak about that great rivalry between the Roosters and the Rabbitohs what does that rivalry mean to you? It's it's huge it's the biggest rivalry in the game without doubt it's just because we're neighbouring clubs but it, it goes back a hundred years when you know Coogee and Ranwick were our areas and the council took those areas off us and gave them the south so that, that that's where it all started and then players getting poached by both clubs over the years. Um, so the hatred is real. Uh, but, you know, off the field, it's all cool. But on the field, it's on. And it's just, it's you know, you walk into the, any of the clubs and they first thing they say is, you've got to beat the Bunnies. Or they would say, you've got to beat the Roosters as well. So it's a great one. What's the vibe around training the week you're playing the Rabbitohs? Uh, yeah, chairman's there. <laughs> you know, he's nervous. It's it's just a different vibe. The intensity's up. It's yeah, everyone's saying, "Got to beat the bunnies. Got to beat them." You know what I mean? So it's it's a pretty cool feeling. Before you go, Minnie, I just want to ask you about two players that are still running around in the NRL that you've had quite a bit to do with. Uh, two fullbacks. I'm going to start with Roger Tuivasa Shek. Obviously, you played with him in 2013 when he was quite yeah. young. In 2014, watching the sort of footballer he is now. Has it surprised you at all, or was it sort of exactly what you're expecting? Uh, exactly what I was expecting. Now he comes to the club from New Zealand as a rugby union guy, never played rugby league, and he picked up the game very quickly. Very quickly, he's a guy that's willing to learn, uh, put the hard work in, and just really humble and just a, a lovely kid, you know. And I worked with him 
uh, you know, 13, 14, and, and towards the end of 14, we started to switch a bit and give him the fullback position as, as we come into a, our attacking zone. Um, and it, it, was, it was a shock to see him leave the Warriors. But I knew, you know, where, wherever he plays, he's got the work ethic to be successful. There's no doubt about it. I'd love to see the Warriors win a comp with him there. It would just be something special, wouldn't it? I oh, know, it would, it would. But they're so inconsistent, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, but he is just, I, you know, there's only two blokes that I think of that I think could have won them a comp, but Stacey Jones and him. Yeah. I, I really yeah, right. hope, I, I really hope they pull it together there. The other bloke I want to ask you about, um, James Tedesco, I believe you had a bit to do with getting him over to the Roosters. Yeah. So I, my first time that I played with Teddy was the 2013 World Cup. I was at fullback, he was at right centre. And mate, he absolutely killed every game at right centre. Never played centre before. And you just think, mate, this kid has got something. He's got something special. Um, and from that point on, we had a good friendship and continued to stay in contact. And, you know, he was... Um, that happy at the Tigers and he, his dad wanted him to move to a better club and you know we spoke many a times and he was close to going to Bulldogs and staying at the Tigers he was he's unsure he was unsure um but I said you know I just said mate if you do decide to come to the Roosters you gotta you gotta look at your future long term the coaching staff here the players the chairman you know that we always strive for success we we, we always strive to win premierships um, if it, if it doesn't happen within two two years, then there's always changes. So you know, if you want to be part of success, then think about coming to the Roosters. And you know, I left the decision totally up to him and his family, and he had to come over. And you know, his career the last couple of years has been phenomenal. I know he's uh, you know he's already one of the best players in the game, one of the best fullbacks we've seen as a full, former fullback yourself. What's one aspect of Teddy's game that you would look to improve when he when he first came to the club we put a massive emphasis on defense and controlling the defensive line as a fullback robo does big time you know and so for a fullback that plays in the number one for the roosters you need to be making sure that every defensive line the numbers are set right and especially on goal line defense where things are frantic and happens at lightning speed you're controlling that you're pulling the strings so I worked with him the first year and Robbo with that defensive organisation piece. And to be honest, he picked it up so quickly, even though his first six months of his career at the Roosters, he probably wasn't feeling like he was playing the best footy in attack, but in defence, he was outstanding. Um, So that side of it, he picked up so quickly, quicker than we ever thought. Uh, And then, you know, he's always looking to improve... um, things in his game and that's what as I mentioned before that's what the, the great players do always not happy to the rest they're happy to make sure they're trying to improve themselves and that's what he does and you know he's elusive he's got good ball playing ability he's got a good short kicking game his defensive organization is there um what more can you ask for Last one before I let you go, Minnie. Tell me about Cooper Cronk over the last two years. What, is, what has he brought to the Roosters? How, how has he changed the club? Well, I think what happens with these great players, Cam Smith and the, the great captains, they do better than others is they stay calm under pressure. So, you know, on a footy field, things happen split second. Or if you're behind the goal line, there's a million people talking and everyone gets frantic. It's just... Pressure, pressure does funny things to people. And Cooper's got the ability to stay calm under that type of pressure. So, you know, you could say um, lips of players that have better skills than him. Where he excels uh, more than anyone is the calmness under pressure and keeping everyone else on the same page. That's the skill. Mate, I congratulate you on everything you achieved in your illustrious career and uh, everything you're doing post-footy. Sounds like you're having a great time. I appreciate it, mate. Yeah, mate, I'm passionate about health and fitness and, and mini fits. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, on social media, where can we find mini fit? Mini fit now, uh, I'm at, and uh, personal is mini fit. I mean, Minicello 001. Perfect, mate. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time. All the best with it all going forward. Beautiful. Cheers. Have a good day.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.